At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome, one and all, to Knife Talk, the, well, certainly the best uh, podcast for knife makers out there. This is episode 226. Can you believe that already? So, hosted by myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, the great Mareko Marmasi of Marmasi Fire Arts, and normally we have Jeff Fader, Fader Knives, with us, uh, but he's not with us today. Um, but don't be sad. Two out of three ain't bad, as they say. <laughs> um, so he's at the, the CMAs, which, as we all know, is the is the Country Music Awards. Um, so he's up for an award for the best upcoming artist uh, for his single "I'm With You," which is that famous duet with Kenny Rogers. So we wish him all the best for that at the yeah at the CMA. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah, you go for it, Jeff. We're with you. I'm you with them, you, Jeff. as they say. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> In his sequin suit, I can imagine it. I can, I can uh, see it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How are things, Marekko? You good? Ah, oh, doing good. Yeah, nice stuff. It's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, these past few months we've been kind of diversifying how uh, I make an income from the knife making stuff, which is hmm. where like the Patreon comes in. Um, we had the uh, and still have the apron going, uh, the calendars and all that stuff. So Fridays are meeting day, uh, and that's also <laughs> when we're recording the podcast. Uh, so meeting day with my, my wife and I, and we just kind of discuss and go over all these things. And some of the other things we have coming up, uh, in addition to the, the Sacramento show coming up with the Forged to Table show at the end of April, um, I'm also going to be trying to coordinate some teaching stuff. I have oh, some cool. other shows in September. Um, and, uh, that I'm going to be at in Nashville. And so I'm talking to Jason Knight about doing a class at his shop out there. And then I'm going to be up at makers camp in October and basically like two weeks later. And I'm trying to coordinate, you know, basically trying to make all these trips work double duty. So, so I'm not Mm -hmm. just going out for one thing. I might as well make the most of it. So going out and probably trying to, uh, arrange, 
a class either you know i have a friend named zach jonas who uh, does classes or holds classes at his shop in uh, new hampshire and and then but there's also dragon's breath forge uh my old shop that i might try to go and coordinate something with them uh as well so just a lot of juggling there's a lot of juggling going on right now yeah, um, and events, events, which is cool because I mean we've had well, two, three years of not being able to do much, right. so you're cramming it all in. Sounds for good. sure. Oh, and one, uh, yeah, this last week I signed a contract to be part of a local uh, kind of crafters market that happens oh, here, cool. and I'm not really going to be peddling my knives, but I I've been wanting to offer a knife sharpening service uh, locally here in my community for a while because. To me, um, it's a it's a low impact on on on, on me mentally and and mm. and time wise. Like it's very it's a very easy thing for me to do, right? Like between a, sh- uh, uh, a machine and maybe a stone, it takes about five minutes to sharpen a knife. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can do. I'm doing my knife sharpening from a, a, an understanding of metallurgy and geom- blade geometry and and all that kind of stuff. We have one guy in the local area that offers a knife sharpening, but it's kind of an old school dude with like I think he rolls around with a uh, like a bench grinder. <laughs> and oh wow! God okay. knows what kind of glorious <laughs> damage he's doing to people's yeah. knives, uh, overheating blades and stuff like that. So I think I, I guess I just feel like there's a there's an opportunity to offer a service with a lot more depth of knowledge and understanding about the tools. Um, that are being cleaned up and whatnot. And like you said, it's an easy thing for me to do to help kind of to, to offer a service in my community. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it, like visibility too, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's being out there, it's meeting people. And, yeah. Cool. Well, and I used, you know, I grew up in this town and so it's kind of, uh, t- stepping back into not, I don't know, not, not a role as a community leader, but just being more, um, kind of involved with the community. Um, you you know you hear Jeff talk about all the different things he does um, mm-hmm. in, in Peekskill and in Westchester, and you know you're playing music at these various venues and stuff, or have been. Um, and so I and I've been wanting to honestly, I've been talking to my wife about doing a sharpening, an offering a sharpening service for a couple of years. But again, just like I ha- my one of my biggest problems is I have too many ideas and too many things I want to try to do. (laughs) And, um, that was just gonna, this one actually requires my time. And so it has been put on the back burner, um, um, because I actually have to physically be there and that, that creates a lot of challenge (laughs) just between balancing life, uh, knife making and family and all that. But like you said, low impact stuff, it's, you know, it doesn't require much, thought beforehand it's just rocky what you're doing it like from a van or like from a like a, like a stall what kind of no, yeah so it'd probably be like a stall with like a pop-up tent or something like that cool. and yeah. um and yeah i you know with the the broadback i can just run it off of a 110 and for the sharpening like a uh, sorry a one 110 volt uh um hmm. extension cord and because i'm doing the sharpening at such low um power usage that it's not gonna burn anything up and so yeah I'm using nice. it down at like 20 or whatever on the dial. It says around 20. That's usually where I'm at when I'm sharpening because, again, I'm trying to preserve the heat treat of the knife um, yeah. and the integrity of the tool. So that's that's a, a fun new thing that I have coming up. Um, but Yeah, that, you're really going for the food trucks, really, aren't you? There's always good food trucks yes, in those kind of places. That's exactly it. In <laughs> fact, I hope they come over and ask to get their knives sharpened, and then they turn around <laughs> and bring back some food. 
that's that's really i'm always if you offer me food it could be you know i i've done some ridiculous things for some <laughs> food for some slices <laughs> of pizza and some beer <laughs> yeah help people move their entire houses yeah. yeah. No, it sounds that sounds fun. Yeah, especially with summer coming as well. You know, getting out of the fresh air as well it sounds a bit. Yeah, it sounds lots of fun. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How about you? How's the past week been? You know, you got a new baby <laughs> in the house. It's. I hate this bit of the show because for me, it's always doom and gloom at the moment. <laughs> no, like, it's real life, man. Out. It's real life. But um, so chicken pox has come. With the pox has reached us this week. Oh boy. Um. So yeah, the uh the twins are taken down with that. So they're off school. Um, and we're obviously trying to, you know, keep the new baby from them. And, you know, you can imagine three-year-olds and a new baby. They want to oh, yeah. slap all the time. So, yeah. yeah, it's trying to split them up. Um, also trying to get this house in a reasonable shape. Now that we are in full-time now. We're out of the other house. Oh, all our stuff is, stuff is here in boxes all over the place. Oh, um, does that stress you out? Oh, come, oh. <laughs> more are you, than You're I, the kind of person that moves into a place and everything has to immediately be unpacked and yeah. in its place? In my yeah, in my mind, that's what I want. I I didn't realize until until having kids that the thing that stresses me out more than anything else is like mess and untidiness. Sure, and it just makes it, it weird, but it makes me tired because I almost like give up. I'm just like, well, what's the point? Mentally I've, I've fatiguing. Ex- exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we find if we tidy a room, I sleep really, really well. Sure, but um, we've just we yeah, we're at that point again where everything is just back in boxes and back over to this new house. So. It's, it's, it is it's quite stressful, quite stressful. But but we have managed to get some shop time in, which is good. Oh, that's good. Um, not productive time, uh, but, but set, <laughs> set up time. So oh, okay. I've, I've got this new shop. Um, all my tools are now in. Um, the electrics are all wired in. Um, so today I was literally like bolting things down to counters and things like that. You know, it's, this is literally the final countdown. So I can't wait for you to do a tour. I, I remember seeing the tour of your pub. I hope, I hope sometime soon you'll be doing a tour of your new shop. Of the workshop. It, it isn't impressive as the pub, unfortunately. Um, I had all these grand, grand ideas. Um, but, you know, it, everything has come last to the house, really. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be functional, um, to begin with. And, you know, from there we can, we can work on things. So it's just one big open, where it's going to be, you know, three different rooms at the moment. It's just one huge open space. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've got good ventilation in there and we're, as we described last week, we're, we're just literally sucking all the shit out and throwing it out the side of the house. Um, <laughs> so it, yeah, it's, it's going to be a nice place to work. Nice, you know, big sort of volume, cavernous place, you know, really, right. really high ceilings and so on. So yeah. So, okay. I'm, pre- so I'm pretty stoked about that. So, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. And we've had like summer today. I've been out oh, in a beautiful. t-shirt. I've been in the garden with the kids and the t-shirt. It's just sure. like, yes, it just cheers everybody up and it's, it's fucking great. That's Love great. It. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've had the same actually recently. We've had a yesterday and then uh, a couple of days prior was it were beautiful spring summer days and that mm. at around sixty five degrees um, Fahrenheit. I don't know what that yeah. means. <laughs> I, I think seventeen, eighteen, maybe. I think. I think. Yeah. Let's see. But, um, just convert. It's eighteen. Yep. 18, um, so yeah, it was really nice. And all you want to do is just be in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody's happy. I mean, you see anybody, you know, even on the street, everybody's got a smile on their face. It's like, it's coming. Yeah, 
it's all good. Don't worry, people, good. people are people though. They they're very I'm sure people will start going back to being their shitty selves again. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, shitbags will return. There's no point. Yeah. Grumpy. No doubt. <laughs> we're all we're all in like this this uh, euphoric period of coming out of the winter and the sun's coming yeah. out and and everybody oh you know, we have this shared experience of being kind of boxed up in our houses. But yeah, yeah we'll we'll get back the to blissful being ignorance right of a possible world war on its way as well. But hey, right. hey exactly. today was a good day, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Knife you... talk is spot. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go for it. I was just going to ask if you found a good spot for your even heat. Um, I have. Ah, nicely, nicely shoehorned in there. Um, I have actually. Yes. Um, so the, the barn has got these huge, like they're probably two foot thick, um, stone walls. Um, oh, wow. so the even heat is like in a corner of one of them, and um. The whole idea is it'll radiate a bit of heat out for me as well sure. um, in those winter months. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice, cool space for it. So, yeah, it's all good. All good. And talking about Even Heat. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Oh, you could always go to knifetalk.net forward slash heat and get money off, and why wouldn't you? So if you go to knifetalk.net forward slash heat, that'll take you to Soul Ceramics, who are a distributor of Even Heats. You'll get $75 off, and you'll get free shipping in the US. And you can spec it out exactly as you would with Even Heat. so that's the way to do it. And, you know, whilst we're talking about shops and, um, you know, setting things up and that kind of thing, um, I'm gonna t- we can talk about combat in just a second, because they're obviously sponsors of the show. Um, but this sh- sort of shoehorns in a bit too... I've got all my belts out of storage, and I didn't realize how many I'd sort of accumulated. I've probably I've got dozens and dozens and dozens, and it's like, how the fuck am I gonna? You know, starting from scratch, this is an opportunity now to put these, you know, to sort these, and you know, Mm. have them have them nice. And you know, the best thing I can come up with is just hooks on a wall, and I'm just like, I know what's going to happen within a few months. They're all going to be mixed up and there's going to be shit everywhere. So this is a shout out to anybody who has a good idea for storing belts, um, a system that works. I mean, I've tried drawers in the past, um, you know, and it none of it seems to work. So, you know, maybe, maybe must be the, better, uh, right? the fresh belts hang on the wall and partially used belts go on like a coat rack or something like that <laughs> on, on the floor. Usually. <laughs> yeah. 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 You'd think, I don't know, somebody's got to come up with some sort of system um, which would help. But anyway, combat are great. I've got lots of them. And whilst we're on the uh, talking about belts. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at combatabrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. Do it now. Shall we do some questions from the public? Absolutely. So these are all questions that will come via Instagram. So we are Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. If you've got any questions, DM us there. Um, and Robert has, Robert Bozich. Um, and he says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. It gets me through my week. The knowledge coupled with the humor is boomtown. Um, so here's the question. My wife and I are selling our house and buying a fifth wheel RV. Wow. Um, he says, I still want to make blades. Am I going to be able to in... I don't know what Coa Parks is. KOA Parks. Uh, it's Campgrounds of America. With ah. Campground, campground cleverly spelled wrong. Ah, okay. <laughs> Will you be able to, in those parks, with a propane forge, 
Um, he says, I know coal will, will be looked at with Karen eyes. <laughs> so switching to propane <laughs> is going to be the only option. Um, any answers will be greatly appreciated. Uh, much love to you all. Um, right, okay. So he's, yeah, he's going to be working from a, a fifth-wheel RV right. um, and obviously a propane forge. Wow. Um, what well, Any other options he's got? He hasn't really got any other options, has he? Yeah, I think a propane forge would probably be a smart move. But honestly, like, those campgrounds are like recreational parks, basically, where you park your recreational vehicle, your trailer, your RV, or whatever. Hmm. But you're not really supposed to be doing, like, working Work. on cars or building <laughs> knives. I think I think if you can... I mean, this is honestly an idea that my wife and I had was to get, a like, a travel trailer and haul around... Because we have a pickup truck, so haul around my knife-making stuff in the back of the pickup truck, hmm. park the trailer, but then find somebody, a knife-maker in a certain location, who I could kind of work with or work... Uh, ah. at their property and you know either learn from them or do a collaboration work with them um but that might be an option but i'm guessing that they're not gonna want you there for very long if you start grinding and throwing sparks it's and the noise i think if he's yeah people are going there to relax right yeah he's mentioning his is um his force he hasn't mentioned his power hammer yet <laughs> that's a hell of a racket right <laughs> jesus so what is Boomtown? Is that from a show or something? What's Boomtown mean? I don't know. I just think he means, yeah, it's, it's really all good. good. Yeah, I yeah. think. I don't know. I, I don't get you Americans. <laughs> American is Trust me, you guys have your sayings too. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, I think you're going to have a hard time with that. Yeah, it sounds like. It sounds like. But, but good luck. Good luck. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah, this next one is from... Captor Gingerbeard 3. Uh, he says, guys, quick question. I just made my first knife out of spring steel. How can I treat it to keep it from rusting? Thanks for the great work. Congratulations, first of all, on your first knife. Yeah. Um, stop it from rusting. Um, I mean, oiling is, is, you know, a classic. Um, <laughs> what do you, you, you think, Morocco? You could dry it off. I mean, it's a novel idea, but keep it dry. <laughs> keep uh, it dry. Keep it oiled's yeah. good. Uh, waxing is always a, like a nice move, especially with a if it's a hard use knife. Because I'm guessing mm. you're this probably isn't a chef's knife out of spring steel. Yeah. Although you could make a chef's knife out of spring steel. So there are waxes uh, for culinary knives. I would use something like Axe Wax that is um, uh, food safe wax but if it's a hard use knife like a bowie or a hunter i would use something along the lines of like johnson's paste wax uh that actually creates a pretty um surprisingly durable finish uh and then either continue waxing it from time to time or just hit it with oil afterward mm. um, but yeah those spring steels especially if it's a recycled material are not of the highest quality of like say it's 5160 there are actually different quality grades of 5160 there's knife steel grade and then there's this the stuff that goes underneath your car and they are mm -hmm. not the same um and so i think the lower grade or um lower i guess purity that ends up in underneath the car for spring steels while they still they could still make a, a decent tool um, they have a stronger propensity for rusting. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. I'd, I'd also say don't be too hung up on it. I mean, sure. it's your first knife anyway, but, you, you know, maybe it's a case if you want to keep it, you know, because it's your first knife. So if that's the case, maybe get a sheath or make a sheath, sure. um, oil it, and, you know, it'll store beautifully. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if it's it's a knife to be used, use it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Let it's it get good. a little shitty. Yeah. I actually yeah. don't mind that. <laughs> if, as long as it's still cutting, whatever. Yeah. Personally. I, I, Personally, yeah. If it's a knife that I'm using, I like it to be used. You know, I want it, I want it to have the scars of that. But uh, yeah, it's it's all all preference. Uh, the next one is from uh, Jay Dayella, I think it is. Sure. Uh, question <laughs> for knife talk: If your shop burned down um, and you had a blank slate, would you stick it out with knife making and rebuild the shop, or would you take the insurance and run? Um, or he says, if a shop burned down, what's the first thing you would get to rebuild and what's something you'd be happy has gone? Um, and Jeff is actually from, live from the awards. Um, he's put a note here um, that I th- I think this guy's shop actually burned down. Oh, Christ. It's fucking terrible. It's oh, so God. scary. Oh, man, I feel for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if your shop's burned down, you had a blank state. First, well, okay, let's take this in stages, Morocco. Okay. Would you stick it out or would you take the money for the insurance and run like fuck? <laughs> Will they give you the money if you don't reinvest it? <laughs> I oh, guess they yeah, probably true, yeah. should. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would. I mean, hmm. like I, I think I've mentioned before, I don't really have much else to fall back on. Um, yeah. Before I was making knives, I was washing dishes and prepping in restaurants and kitchens so that's not exactly what i want to go back to from Mm. where i'm at currently um yeah so i would stick with it would you yeah i would um and to even if money wasn't you know even if i didn't have to work um i think i would and i've noticed that massively over the last six months but you know we've moved well twice now the last six months um and obviously having you know new children as well um, I find if I'm not making something, I get irritable as shit. Sure. So if I was just at home with money to burn, with nothing to do, I'd be miserable as hell. I'd need to be. I'd need to be making something. So yeah, I certainly would be. Maybe you know the pressure would be off, and maybe I'd make slightly different stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd, I definitely still would be without a doubt. You know, honestly, I feel like I, I feel like a lot of people think that the goal in life is to make enough money so you don't have to do anything. But I think <laughs> I think the reality is humans as an animal and a species, we, we need that sense of achievement, of accomplishment mm. in our lives, whatever it is. Um, and, so, and, I, and so I think it's actually very rare that any person actually takes pleasure from literally laying around and doing nothing because yeah. I think even science proves that you know, the less connected you are with community and less you actually do or feel like a sense of accomplishment from the, the shorter your life actually is like yeah. you, you're, yeah. you survive better as a human animal through doing work and accomplishing things, especially if it's work that, uh, gives you a sense of fulfillment and, um, yeah. So, hmm. and I, I think particularly if you're, you know, a creative person and yeah. I think, you know, we certainly, and I think most people who are listening, you know, you're makers, you, you certainly are creative. I'm sure there are some people who'd be happy just shopping the rest of their life, but fuck them. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay, where's the second part of this question? Yeah. Okay, your shop burned down. What's the first thing you would get to rebuild and what's something that you'd be happy is gone? Ooh, something happy is gone. 
Mm. He's gone. Oh, I know I'd be happy he's gone. You were talking earlier about how you guys just moved in and you have everything in boxes all over the place mm. and it's stressing you out. I think actually part of the, part of my stress and anxiety in my day-to-day work is just the fact that I have so much excess shit in my shop because it's become kind of, it doubles as a storage facility that it actually <laughs> hinders my sense of being able to be productive and, and mm. heightens my sense of anxiety and stress. Uh, so if a lot of that shit burned up and was no longer there, I'd be totally <laughs> fine with that. <laughs> but, yeah. but where would I start in rebuilding? I think I would definitely get in my even heat, but also, you know, I built my first grinder and if, Mm. if I was smarter than I was then I would definitely get a broadback because with a broadback machine, you can have literally multiple machines in one with the various tool arms that they offer. And so that would be a a big investment, but it would, I also think it would be the right investment (laughs) Um, Mm. because your money will go a lot farther when you're, you know, buying the various attachment arms versus like multiple machines, especially like, honestly, like I don't need massive machines. And I know there are some makers who, you know, covet and collect them. And I think the history and stuff's really cool, but I honestly just don't have the space for all that stuff. I almost said crap, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, just turned off. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Uh, so yeah, I think a, a good grinder and a good heat treating kiln would be a strong start, um, in getting going and knife making again after a burn. Yeah. 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 One thing I'd be happy is God, I've been just giving this some thought. And I think one thing that used to bug me like more than it really should have in the old shop is we had wooden floors and okay. we'd have these cracks along each sort of <clears throat> stave of the wood you know yeah and you know you're trying to sweep up and the dust would just go everywhere sure and i didn't realize it bugged me as much as it did until we've just got um like aluminium checker plate in the new shop and sweeping up is just like the joy it gives it's just like wow (laughs) this is amazing yeah so if i if i was building again from the ground up you know things just to make things simple sure um and as simple as that sounds having a flat floor without cracks everywhere. It's a ma- it makes a massive difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. And um, first thing I'd, I'd rebuild is I'd just be really happy putting, which is what I'm doing at the moment, putting all the machines in, bolting them all down. Because at that point, everything is perfect and as you want it. One week later, everything goes to shit and everything's a mess. <laughs> and um, I'm the worst at getting myself back back into things when things are a mess mm, i can yeah. pro, you know I, I can just say oh i need to clean this up i can spend a day cleaning up a little corner or something sure um if i had somebody like, we've been talking about you know especially with jeff as well you know at the moment employing people right. and getting extra help that kind of thing i think i would be far more productive if i had a cleaner come into my shop for three hours a day then I would have another maker come into my shop three hours a day. Sure. Seriously, seriously, honestly, if when everything's clean, it's just you just feel a bit more inspired to work, and you you just you you know you're excited. Absolutely. Um, well, and that's why I'm saying like some of my stress and anxiety in my day to day is just like the mess that is there in the shop. Yeah, I feel yeah. it 100. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what Neil Kamimura's got going on. He's hired his son to be his apprentice, but also, you know, part of that job is just making sure the shop is staying clean. Yeah. And, well. um, 
yeah, I feel like one hundred percent. I would I would be a lot more pr- uh, productive yeah. if that was one less thing. Because honestly, like you know, I I know there are some people who take pleasure in some of those activities. Um, but when uh, more and more these days, when I'm in the shop, I'm trying to be productive and my time mm-hmm. is better spent doing things, um, that only I can do rather than sweeping the yeah. floor and reorganizing things. Yeah. It could be like a barber shop. You could just have somebody sure. following you around with a brush, just sweeping up <laughs> behind you. Be great. Yeah. Be great. Uh, okay. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. Um, Campbell Sharp Weldon. Uh, said, um, I've been listening to the podcast for a few weeks and you've made me really question using any wood that's not stabilized. I've got plenty of wood and want to get into stabilizing. So what would you suggest for me to get? Um, also, what are your favorite synthetic handle materials? Um, I appreciate it. Um, so he wants to get into stabilizing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you, you don't do any stabilizing yourself. Do I you definitely or? do not. But there are places okay. that offer the service. Yeah. Um, but actually, one of our sponsors sells cactus juice, Maritime Knife uh-huh. Supply. Yes, yes. So if you're in Canada, Maritime Knife Supply, um, they sell that as well as lots of other stuff for, for knife makers. Go have a look. There's lots and lots of stuff there. One-stop shop for knife makers. Um, and they also do combat abrasives as well. Um, and I know they've got a deal. If you buy 10, you get 10% off and all this kind of stuff. But it, just go take a look. It's worth it if you're in Canada. Um, they also ship to US as well. Um, but yet, stabilizing, getting into stabilizing, it doesn't need to be that expensive. Um and just before we come online, I was trying to find the make of the stuff that I use. Um, I can't find it. Um, but what I do find is the most expensive bit are the consumables, such as the uh, the resins and so on that you use. Sure. Um, but if you get a um, a vacuum pump and a uh, some sort of you know some sort of sealable container, and if you look on Amazon or any, I mean, there's loads there, yeah. and I'm sure they're all the same brand. They've all got the orange seals, and most of them are using the same vacuum pump, which is like an orange thing as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're just Chinese things rebranded. Um, I've gone <laughs> through maybe three of them oh, in wow. five five years, um, simply because I don't stabilize that often. And, and when you don't, um, they sort of gum up a bit, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, they need to get clean. Um, but, um, yeah, it doesn't need to be that expensive. I'd imagine, I don't know, I think you're in the US. You know, $200, you get yourself something decent enough sure. to uh, do uh, wooden handles. Right. Um, but, but, yeah, I, what I find is the consumables are probably the most – I mean, cactus juice everybody sort of uses is well known. Yeah. Um, I've started using, like, a, a plant-based resin – um, so it doesn't have all the nasties in there, okay. um, which is quite nice. But again, it can be quite expensive. Um, but yeah, and there's third-party places that you can send them as well. So there's lots of you know options available to you. Sure. Um, but yeah, if you just look at stabilizing kits on Amazon or you know, there's 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 loads, and they're all. I'm pretty much sure they're all the same, just rebranded. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I've had lots of handle material stabilized. I usually send it out to like K and G down in Arizona. Mm. They do a really great job. Um, there are various, it's, at least here in the United States, there's at least two or three different companies. But there's so many people, and I thought I wanted to get into it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to save so much money. But I realized that I'm spending so much time with you know procuring the wood and breaking it down and letting. Well, you don't have to do much when it, you're letting it season, but when you get into the stabilizing process, there's a lot involved with that. And I'm just like, this, I, this isn't what I'm. I'm not passionate about stabilizing wood. <laughs> Why the fuck am I thinking I want to try yeah. to do this? I'll just let the people who are good at it do it. 
and uh, and I'll support them. <laughs> so, makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You do what you're best at, and let others do what they're best at. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Do you, more, you want to add to it? No, no, no. You go for it. You go for it. Okay. This next one is from Brandon uh, Ulick. Uh, he says, "No, Ulick. No, Ulick." <laughs> <laughs> can't remember if i've asked this before or not but why do some two by 72 inch belts have directional arrows and others mm. do not ah. do you know the answer well i think it's due to the the tape that sort of joins the belt um so if you use a belt for a fair bit um you take it off then you put the belt back on um it sometimes can give you a bit more of a bump on the tape um, but to be honest with you, I, it doesn't bother me. I find that if I use a belt for a while and then turn it the other way, it can give you an extra, an extra little bit of grit. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not quite sure why they have them. Um, but I generally try to keep, you know, the, the direction the same all the time, but then just at the end, I maybe, you know, maybe get an extra. 10% out of the end by turning them around. Yeah. But I'm always extra careful then because I think the seam could be maybe slightly yeah, just hit them from up. the back backside, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why. That's, that's, that's my answer to that. But <laughs> I think it actually comes down to, so I think abrasive companies, uh, some make uh, the giant rolls that, uh, like if you go on Combat's Instagram, you can see the giant rolls of abrasive um, mm. that they then make the belts out of uh they cut them obviously to various widths as well as lengths depending on the application but um some of the companies that make those abrasives also make their own belts but i think it's the the directional arrows are based on um the actual construction technique for the belts so if you go on combat's instagram um you can see that they are um, assembling the belts where they the, the seam or is kind of at an angle, but they butt them up edge to edge, and then they put a, a tape underneath that that mm-hmm. completes the belt. But there's another belt making technique where they actually instead of um, butting them edge to edge, they they remove some of the abrasive off of one of the edges of the belt, and then they do a lap joint. And uh-huh. based on that lap joint and how it overlaps, they they have the direction you want the arrows to be going in the proper direction, so that um, that lap joint is going in the right direction. Because if you go mm. run it in the opposite, the chances of accidentally blowing up that belt, basically, or ruining that lap joint, uh, are very high. Um, but I have found that belts that are assembled in that way are not very fun to grind with because of that lap joint. Uh, and especially in a heavier weight belt, it creates a really big bump. And even hmm. in J Flex, I've 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 experienced belts that are even J Flex with that lap joint um, assembly style, and that also bumps really bad too. And it's not it's not great, honestly. It kind of sucks hmm. to use. And so my preferred belts are uh, edge to edge, or kind of butted up against each other, and then with the tape underneath and combat. Uh, does it that style and i think it's great honestly i really like yeah. it a lot there we go for a smooth we go. grind <laughs> fabian um has asked again on instagram um i have a question for you what was the point in time when you felt comfortable to charge customers for your knives the amount of money um so that you can run a profitable business 
I've been making knives for about five years and now would like to finance uh, myself besides university. Please ask for tips on pricing for beginners would be much appreciated. Keep up the good work. So, okay, so Fabian is um, he's in university, but he'd like to finance himself through university uh, with his knife making. Um, so he's wondering how he can go about start. But the sounds of things, he hasn't been charging much for knives, and now he wants to make it you know profitable for him. Sure. Um, any any tips for that? Um, I mean, honestly, until you've developed a, a decent reputation or strength of brand. Um, it's hard to charge too much because mm. nobody knows who you are and why would they spend money with you? But I think one great tool that many of us have at our fingertips is literally our phones and using Instagram and social media to work on kind of developing that brand and reputation. Um, and it honestly it costs you your time. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to use Instagram. It just costs you your time. Um, but I, you know, we've had people asking questions about in in the past few weeks, you know, I'm, I'm inundated with custom orders. What do I do? I think that's when, when you are overwhelmed by orders, that is when you are in a position to use a simple economic principle of supply and demand and start pushing mm. up your prices. And that will slow down, um, the number, or I guess it kind of, I don't know if you look at it like, uh, like uh, a faucet on a hose. You're, you're kind of just snugging up the faucet basically a little bit. People are still going to be saying yes, uh, or they're just going to be the ones who are, are, are willing to pay more or can afford to pay more. You, you, and the sad and unfortunate and real, uh, the realistic thing is like you can't afford, especially if you're going to do run a sustainable business, you, you know, you, you got to be able to pay for yourself and your life and the effort and energy and skill you put into these knives. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, the reality is there aren't in, in the scope of the entire world, there aren't that many people with the skills to make high quality handcrafted knives and being such a niche skill, you if if you've built the reputation and you have the skill, you deserve to be compensated for that. And that's not necessarily what everybody's willing to pay for, especially if they're just, <laughs> if they see it in a knife shop where there's like a $50 knife and then they see your 500 or $600 or $800 knife, all they see is the price difference. But once you've built that kind of brand recognition, that reputation, um, then people are buying their not the knives, not just based on the price point, but, because of who you are and what your reputation represents and the quality of the tool that you are making. Yeah. 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 Like you said, we've all had these tools available to us to sort of weave a sort of story around what we're doing. And and people lap that stuff up as well. They love the whole, you know, this you know, this maker is crafting this kind yeah. of thing. We all know we could go to a store and buy a a fifty to hundred dollar knife that would be a great great knife, but you're not you're not selling the knife. You're selling more than that. You're selling you know your experience, your work, your the whole story around it, and the fact that it is handmade. Um, so yeah, I mean, get comfortable with selling yourself, um, which you know so many knife makers aren't. Um, unfortunately, you need to. You need to because because. There is a community online of people who buy knives, that kind of thing, and and 
you know, there is as as much as like Morocco said, it, it's a very niche thing. If people get into that sort of community, all of a sudden they, there's a lot of choice. Um, so yeah, be comfortable with with selling yourself and finding what what works for you. Um, and I'm sure you'll find an audience. But I mean, personally, for me, it was that transition to you know making it into profitable business was very sort of organic, really. Um, it was a sort of a, a side thing for me, sort of, I'm sure it's for everybody. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, right, I'm a profitable knife maker. Um, it's a side thing. It's, it's, you know, maybe a hobby and you, you start enjoying it and you start selling to, you know, family, friends, then, then more and more people hear about it and more and more people are buying. And there comes a point where, as Morocco said, where you need to cover your costs and make that decision right then. This is what I'm going to be doing. My costs need to be covered. I need to, not only cover my costs, but actually make a living out of this as well and, you know, be able to pay bills and be able to have a life out of it as well. So it is difficult, um, and for most it's a slow, slow burner. Um, So, yeah, just get comfortable selling yourself, selling your story, finding out what's unique about your knives, and, um, yeah, keep on grinding, and I'm sure sure it'll come. Well, and and, and to add to your what you're saying, I, I honestly don't think a slow burn is a bad thing. I think, Mm. I think a lot of people just, they want to get into knives and then within a year be really well known and sell their knives for lots of money. And that, I mean, obviously that would be cool and great, but by starting small and building up over time, you get to take, uh, you, you get to build potentially a grassroots following that has followed your journey all along the way. And they get to be the people who, you know, when you first started out, uh, they bought a knife for, from you for a couple hundred dollars that now is maybe a couple thousand dollars, you know, who mm. knows where it goes. Um, but additionally, another way um, to build reputation um, and, and kind of like awareness of your work, um, especially if you're doing quality work, but maybe you struggle with, doing the social media aspect, it might make sense for you to work with a purveyor, especially if you're doing good work, because that's kind of, they take a cut, but they're also doing kind of the business and advertising. And because they Mm. already have an established collector base, they have the reputation and the respect that they know what to find. It's almost kind of like a gallerist in the way, which I feel like Jeff would maybe potentially be against but when in fuck jeff he's not even here he couldn't even show up today fuck you jeff by the way thanks for not showing up (laughs) have fun at your gala or your award show and fancy drinks and stuff rhinestone cowboy (laughs) (laughs) but but i think you know and honestly that's kind of how i started when i first started nobody knew who i was even though I had worked for a very uh, a maker, Bob Kramer, who had a, a massive reputation, nobody knew who I was. And so, but I was doing good work. And so I got started by working with a purveyor of knives. And, and you know, they did take a cut because they also need, to, if they're selling retail, they need to have some sort of markup. Otherwise, yeah. their business isn't sustainable. But yeah. they helped me helped me help establish me as a quality maker and a quality product. And then my reputation started to build up from there. And then I was able to kind of pivot that into doing my own promotion and building my own uh, kind of brand and social media following through uh, Instagram. And, and I've, 
and then more and more people start to see you and recognize you, your work is good stuff. And, you know, you never know who's going to be that one that buys your stuff and then you just blow up. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah. that could be, I mean, a, a perfect example are uh, of purveyors who, um, especially in culinary knives, um, who do a really great job of promoting makers are like Abe Shaw at eating tools. Um, yeah. he, he, sells like Charlie Ellis's work and, and Joshua Prince's work in, 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 and Nick Anger. And so, and, and some of those people, maybe they're not necessarily the greatest at presenting themselves on social media or, or, or that's just, you know, that's just not their thing. But by working with somebody, it's kind of like Jeff, honestly, it's kind of like Jeff having a business partner. And I think that's the way to really realistically look at it. If you establish one of these relationships with a purveyor, look at them as a business partner. Yes, they get their cut, but they're also doing a part of the business that maybe you're not the best at or even want to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Or another option is to do something very different to what others are doing. Oh, yeah. um, you know, really sort of stand out. Sure. So your stuff does jump out. And, you know, you could be using Dharma steel to make some sort of yeah, fabulous that's stuff. That's really going to sort of be very sort of bling. Um, it's the way so of the yeah, future. It is. If you don't know what Dharma steel is, it's a it's a stainless Damascus or layered steel, um, which looks fantastic. They've got some amazing patterns and so on. Go take a look at uh, Dharma Steel Lab on Instagram, and you'll see what I mean. Um, people make beautiful, beautiful sort of one-offs with this stuff. It's beautiful. Um, and if you go to dharmasteel.se and register as a customer, you'll get 10% off using Knife Talk as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's one way to stand out by using um, stuff that will really sort of jump out to sort of high-end stuff that, you know, people don't see every day. Um, yeah, it's it's all about finding your your thing, I think. Um, and you know, you see lots of people who are just starting out, and they may be doing culinary knives, maybe doing camp knives as well, all sorts of knives. And I think you're sort of diluting your pool. I think doing that way, um, you know, find find out find what you want to be doing, and really sort of double down on that. That's yeah. that's what I'd say. Absolutely. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Absolutely. Where are we? Holger Wisbel. Do you want to, do you want to take that one? Holger Wisbel. Uh, 
I feel like that is like a video game character from like Fable or something like one of those. Yeah, RPGs. or from Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, actually, did you see that a whole new like somebody discovered a, a sketchbook or something of J.R.R. Tolkien's um, that had never been seen before that no. had all no. these illustrations um, the, for like the Lord of the Rings series and stuff. Oh, wow. No. That's super cool. And to be honest, I'm not into that kind of stuff at all, to be honest with you. Lame. Um, You're lame. I, not uh, me. You're nah, lame. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown man. <laughs> I don't believe in goblins. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. You, what was that last week you were talking about? Cart- you don't do cartoons or comic books? No. No. I, I've, I've got this weird thing with, like, like, not fiction, but, like, fantasy. You know, it's like, well, that's not fun. What about Star real. Wars? It, well, even as a kid with Star Wars, I was just like... No okay, way. I'll see you later. I'm hanging up right now. See you there. Wasn't having it at all. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I, I think I'm the weirdo there. I'm the odd one out, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, anyway, Holger Wisbold yes. uh, from Middle Earth is asked. Earth. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do it or you want me to? No, you go for okay, it. Go so <laughs> do any of you guys know how to use a draw knife? I, I'd like to know if there are uh, if they are supposed to be used bevel side up bevel side down or if it's just a matter of preference also weird customer request a friend colleague and technically also customer asked me how do you uh, hey do you think you could get that thing out i had an i had accidentally just put my work knife through his hand oh holy shit that's a very like calm. A hey, do you think you could just remove that knife from me? <laughs> Jesus, wow! By the way, uh, did you do me a solid? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Holger, what are you up to? Um, what are we talk? Uh, draw knives. Um, this was probably fantasizing. He was in Middle Earth fighting orcs. That's, that's what it was. Yes, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sorry, Holger. Um, bevel side up or bevel side down? Um, I don't use them. Um, I have used them, and I'm pretty sure you'd want bevel side up mm. um if i'm right in thinking a draw knife is where you you sit and you you draw it towards yeah, you handle on either uh, for, side for shave yeah for shaving bark off and that kind of stuff um i'd see it as bevel side up if you've got bevel side down it's always going to want to ride up and possibly be dangerous and come the blade comes straight towards your sort of throat ah, see i think um, oh sorry no sorry you go i may be wrong but i'm um, I I would imagine bevel side up for for that reason. You'd want it riding up. You want to you want to shave. I w- I would assume that you want it. I've never used one. I, I've seen Liam Hoffman use it to rip uh, axe handles through hickory. Yeah. It's fucking wild because he's going fast. Um, but I would assume that it's bevel side down. So flat the flat sides facing to- up towards the sky with the bevel on the backside, so that you can kind of do scooping cuts. Uh, because if it's bevel side up, if you start digging into the wood, the only way to come back out is by backing the blade up rather than pulling it up. Mm. Um, kind of in a scooping action. Yeah. But I honestly have never used one as well. I think it would just be very difficult to do it the other way with the bevel side uh, up. That's why it's a skill. Um yeah, yeah, you well, it certainly is a skill. Yeah, <laughs> and you can you can see Holger and his orc friends in the woods whittling some some furniture, chopping with down trees knives. around Isengard, Isengard, and <laughs> building scaffolding for the orcs to melt steel and oh Jesus, yeah. Um, so the answer is we don't know Holger. <laughs> oh yeah, Holger. Um, 
We don't know. We we have different different opinions actually. So yeah, we don't know. I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> okay, Trevor Waro. Um, hey guys, TW Knives here. Um, I have a heat treat question for you. On a four sixteen stainless steel and a ten eighty four Sanmai billet, is it okay to heat treat the profile blade before grinding the bevels to expose the ten eighty four? That's what I did and seemed to provide me a nice hard blade. After I was worried that the stainless on the outside would act like the clay, uh, like when you're trying to get a ham on, um, affected the heat treat of the core steel. And he says it was heat treated and tempered at 1084 temperatures uh, for your information. Uh, sorry for the wordy question. You guys are awesome. Thanks for all you do. Um, that's Mareko. That's, that's got you written all over that one. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't be concerned. If, if anything, once the steel comes up to temperature. Uh, oh, I see what he's saying. Because because heat transfers through stainless very differently mm. than it does through carbon steel, and yeah. so if it transfers transfers through the stainless slower, it's potentially keeping that core hot longer. But if you are working with sandmai, that's maybe uh, three mil around two hundred thousandths, hundred eighty thousandths, then um, you you should be able to harden the entire thing in a pretty uh, reasonable amount of time. Um, my concern, honestly, would be that the core material would become overexposed, especially if you heat treated it flat, like a flat bar stock, and then stock removed from there. And usually the the goal with a lot of sand mine is for the, there to be a, a very small core reveal along the edge. So uh, that is the, uh, I guess it's not the, that, that doesn't have to do with the heat treat, but overall kind of sand my generality. But I think... Yeah, I think as long as it's thin enough, it shouldn't be a problem. If it's really thick, like a quarter of an inch thick, uh, which is about five mil, then um, you might have some issues for sure. Um, but no, not not if it's thinner, around three mil or 180 thousandths cool. or so. It should be totally cool. fine. Quarter inch is 6.35 mil. Oh, way. geez. Okay, I was way off. Sorry. <laughs> it's close enough. Close enough. <sighs> so sorry. <clears throat> Where are we? Uh, Kaz um, asks, um, hey, man, I have a question. It's another heat treat question, actually. Um, what is a good reason to pre-grind before heat treat? Um, and they said they use 01, deep hardening and soaking a kiln. Um, hardening finished profiles and grinding afterwards is quicker and avoids decarb and warping. I personally, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's exactly what I do. Um, sure. I think it depends on what, what style you're making. If you're making, you know, a thin culinary knife, um, I think it makes huge sense to do that because, you know, as you say, you're avoiding, you're not avoiding, but you're sort of certainly ri- lessening the risk of, of warping, that kind of thing. Um, and personally, I prefer to grind a hardened steel. It feels a little different to, to grind hard. Uh, it does. I yes. I do like to uh, grind hard. Hard steel um, between if your it, hands. Yeah. It does feel different to a soft steel. Um, but, um, you know, I can imagine if you're doing something something thick, um, maybe you might want to take a little bit off beforehand. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't do anything really that thick anyway. So I always prefer to fully heat treat, then just grind carefully afterwards. Yeah. Um, you're all about the friction. Um, <laughs> oh, have you done uh, heat treated a lot of O one? I actually have it myself. I did that when I first started. That old, yeah, all my knives were O one, okay. um, and they were they were chef knives. Right. Yeah. How thick were they? 
they were uh, probably three mil the thickest. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, so I've never done anything that you know that thick really. And to be honest, my first knives, four chef knives, were thick. Um, but um, yeah, I've always just found it easier to to heat treat first. Sure. Um, because the way the way I, when I do heat treating in batches specifically. Um, what once they're heat treated, I'll then clamp them all together as one sort of big brick, mm. um, and then temper everything in together. <laughs> um, where if they're ground, you're gonna have you're gonna have edges and you're gonna have different angles that kind of sure. thing would never really work. Um, so if there is any slight warping after heat treat, when I clamp them all together with you know I use quarter inch plates either side as well. Um, that will really just you know help to straighten anything out if it's not yeah. perfect. I personally have never heat treated in anything full thickness at the edge. I always pre-grind, oh. especially um, wear-resistant uh, steels like O1, W2, um, 52100 even. Um, mm. It's just because um, it can be a lot of work to grind after, uh, especially if you are doing a thicker blade. Um, yeah. It could be a lot of work, a lot of abrasives and a lot of time, just like a lot of time at the grinder just to get it down. Um, I've found that by doing a subcritical or um, sorry, a subcritical anneal before my final hardening um, helps reduce to basically completely uh, uh, avoiding any kind of warps in a blade that has been um, pre-ground. And so, and you can learn more about that from uh, Dr. Laren Thomas's uh, knife steel engineering, or was it? Is it knife steel engineering? Knife blade engineering? Um, uh, knife steel engineering, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think. About how that subcritical anneal or temper anneal is what he calls it sometimes as well, where basically you are over tempering from a martensitic structure. So you fully harden the blade, then you bring it back up to like 1200, 1250 degrees, and then you temper it for about an hour. And then you, and then you do your final hardening from there, or you do some machining and then do your final hardening from there. Um, but I almost never have warping issues, um, when I do that process. And that way I get to grind the blade basically completely soft. Um, which saved me a lot of time and effort at the machine. And, and then I go into my final heat treat and it comes out great. Um, but it, it also, you know, maybe, you know, some people have different limitations on what they can achieve in their shops, whether they have a temperature, temperature control kiln versus doing a forge that will very definitely limit your ability to do a temper anneal like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that's what I got. So I suppose again we we differ on opinions there, but there's there's no right or wrong way. I suppose that, right. that that's what we're trying to say. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and cool. if the material's thin enough, like closer to an eighth of an inch thick, sure. I you know, f- harden full thickness all day and then grind from there. That that would be a dream, honestly. Mm. But if it's thicker, like around two hundred thousandths of an inch, I would definitely do some pre grinding before uh, before my heat treat. Something yeah. like that. Gotcha. Okay, I want to tell everybody about Texas Farrier Supply. Um, they've been a sponsor of the show for a long, long time, um, and they're a great, again, one of those one-stop shops where you can go and buy everything that you need if you're a knife maker. Um, but one of the really cool things is that they sell Indasa Rhino Wet. 
um, which we all love. So when it comes to hand sanding, which is the bit we all hate, it makes sense to do it with the best stuff. Um, so it's in, it's Rhino Wet by Indasa. It's going to save you time and money, and it just makes – I wouldn't say it makes it a joy, hand sanding, <laughs> um, but it makes it <laughs> less of a horrible chore. Sure. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking to lighten the load when it comes to hand sanding, you want Rhino Wet by Indasa. It's the best place. It's the best stuff, and they sell it at – as I say, TexasFireSupply.com. If you use Knife Talk 10, you'll also get 10% off your order there as well. So go take a look. Um, fill up your basket with Indasa Rhinoet, but have a good look around the store. They've got lots of stuff that you may not even know that you need as a knife maker to make your life that little bit much easier. Go take a look. Okay, we're rattling through questions. Do, do you want to take the next one, Maraca? Absolutely. It is from Paul Jansen. Uh, he's, or they say, or he says, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I got a question, probably more for Mareko. I started making Damascus and Sanmai, but don't know how to finish the handles. I've always glued the handle and then shaped it, but now I'm grinding uh, the finish off. Um, I've tried the Q, uh, the Q-tip dipped in acid, and I don't. It didn't work for me. Is there a better way to get the handle on and shaped and still keep the pattern? Okay, so it sounds like they're doing making knives out of Damascus, but they're probably non-integral, but with a full tang. And he's etching it, but then sculpting the handle, and it's taking mm. the pattern off. And so something we've talked about in the past is to use um, dummy pins. Um, so basically, they, you, they temporarily affix the handle scales to the blade, so you can do your handle sculpting. And then you take them off, you etch your blade whatever finish you're going for then do your final glue up um use paste wax or be handy with the acetone or ready with the acetone to clean off any excess glue and so and and then in the final final glue up you're using full-on corby bolts and that's uh and then once it's set and ready to roll uh, whether it's overnight or after about half an hour then you can trim those corby bolts or grind them off um, and all you have to do you at that point, you won't have to do any cleaning along the spine and the bellies. Ideally, you're just hitting those pins or those bolts. Um, again, whether they're Colby bolts or, or eighth inch pins or whatever you got. Um, and you don't have to touch up, uh, hit the spine at all. You're just cleaning up those pins and, mm -hmm. and finishing those out and you should be in a good spot. There we go. There we go. So if, you, if you're not sure what we mean by hidden pins, let's say you're using Corby bolts, um, just cut them a bit shorter. Right. Sorry. Use something like a, like a Dremel or maybe even a file yeah. and file a slot in there so you can unscrew them later. Um, yeah, finish the knife. Take them off. Yeah. As, as Mareko just explained. Yeah, what I've done with the uh, with Corbeats, like the set of dummy uh, dummy pins that I have, I uh, before even trimming them, I actually just... Um, you know, bolted the set together and then ran it down my uh, porter band saw and cut and took the slot for the flathead uh, uh, screwdriver and I just pushed mm. it basically almost all the way down and then I trimmed it. That way I didn't have to like guess where middle was again and I did that yes. from both sides and then yeah, hit it with a file to open it up maybe a little bit if you need to. Otherwise, just get a, you know, a nice thin tipped uh, flathead screwdriver. Um, but yeah, you just need it on there tight enough to just hold things together while you sculpt the handle and then take them off. Yeah. But yeah, 
There we go. There we go. This next one, I've just, I've just pr- sort of pre-read it, and I think Dave has got to be the, the greatest salesman in the world. Okay, I can't wait. Just listen to this for a first right. line. I am not a knife maker, but I've been asked to give a private knife class to a guy as a surprise by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what's going on and how that come about. Yeah. So, so, yeah, not a knife maker, but I've been asked to give a private knife class to a guy as a, as a surprise by his wow. wife. Um, and he says, I've never given classes. It's a new friend, so I imagine it would only be a casual, but I feel the, prof- the pressure to be professional mm. and quality since he wants, she wants to pay. I think this guy's been bullshitting a little, hasn't he? He's been telling everybody he's the world's greatest <laughs> knife maker. <laughs> they said, well, come and do a class, and he's like, oh, fuck. Um, um, he said, could be just a fun day forging knives. Not really a question, but I guess a topic of discussion. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm a little confused. By that first line, I'm not a knife maker, but I've been asked to give a private knife class <laughs> to a guy. My guess is it's somebody who dabbles or as a hobbyist. Um, right, okay. Um, okay. But somehow has been presented as a knife maker. And so this wife, this other guy is like, oh, you should teach my husband a class. I think, I mean, for me personally, if I was in that position, I'd be like, especially if they're like, it sounds like they're neighborhood friends or whatever, or casual friends. Yeah, well, it's a new friend. It says it's a new friend, so I imagine it would only be casual. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I would just be like, why don't you, why doesn't he just bring some beers over? We'll hang out and, you know, hit some steel or grind on some steel. And But I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I, I, I've been making knives for almost nine years, and I, I don't feel comfortable teaching classes, honestly. Yeah. I'm just recently, I've just, like, you know, in this last year, really started to take the idea of teaching classes more seriously. So I've got, I've got another take on this. So okay, let's just reading through it again, it says, it's a new friend, so I imagine it would only be casual. And this is by the wife, remember. I think they're fucking swingers. I think she's saying, come on round, bring your tools, and it'll be that whole, oh, there's a knock on the door. Who could this possibly be? And they're, they're at it, you know? And I think that's what's going on, Dave. Be be very wary. That's all I'm saying. It sounds like the, yeah, it sounds like the uh, start of a very low-budget budget pornography. It does. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Sorry. Or, or uh, not sorry. Di- maybe it's going to be great for you, Dave. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Dylan Wesk. I think I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, as, as just said, I've been having trouble etching my Damascus and San Mai. The 15N20 continues to come out dark and or blotchy. Um, I've taken it up to 1500 grit. Maybe my acid mix is too strong or f- at four parts water and one part ferric. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what do you think, Morocco? Trouble etching. Yeah. So 15 and 20 can pick up staining very easily. One, if it is, if the lines of the 15 and 20 in whatever pattern you got are too bold, bolder than about an eighth of an inch, they will start picking up coloring in both ferric as well as coffee. Uh, there's something about that just being too much of a of a gap of material to keep it bright. So if you're mm-hmm. designing or making a pattern, um, try to think about how bold are these lines going to be? Um, because if they're too bold, the 15 and 20 is probably going to pick up coloring that I don't want it to pick up. Um, the other thing I've experienced is that if you, you know, 
great, good for you, taking it up to 1500 grit. I think that is definitely not necessary. Uh, I actually personally only hand sand my Damascus up to 800 grit and kind of an industry standard is 400 grit. And um, if you burnish the surface of your material, whether you're at 400 grit or you're at 1500 grit, you're kind of closing the surface. So instead of having fresh abrasive that cuts and is removing material, it's instead burnishing or smearing that surface. And it, instead of, I think of it as like, uh, having a, like a, a drink container or something with a lid on it. And if it's open, then stuff can, uh, you know, the acid can etch and do its job properly. But if it's closed, funky stuff starts to happen. And you would think like just thinking about it, it would seem to make sense. Oh, if I close up that 15 and 20 surface by burnishing it and scrubbing it down really hard, it's not going to pick up color, but it actually picks up color more when it's a closed or burnished surface rather than being an open or freshly abraded surface. Um, Mm. I don't know why. It just does. That is my experience. Um, but again, I also think 1500 grit is a little bit overkill. Um, it's great for monosteel knives, honestly. And that's kind of, that's kind of the downside of monosteel knives is that you, you kind of have to take them to a higher grit finish for them to look nice. Um, versus I guess Damascus is kind of hid, hidden behind the, uh, the etch of the pattern. Um, but yeah, if you pull it back to maybe 800, 600 or 800 grit and then try etching it again, you'll probably have a lot more success. And when you're pulling your final strokes, just make sure you're using fresh abrasive, not uh, anything that's too worn down or you know crushed through. Uh, and you should have a nice open surface that the acid will be able to etch properly. I, I know it sounds completely uh, counterintuitive to have a more open surface uh, or even a coarser grit to, to get a nice high contrast. But honestly, some of the best coffee finishes I've ever got were when I was test etching a blade after finish grinding off the machine at 220 grit. I put it mm. in the coffee overnight, come back the next day, and it's popping, extremely high contrast, pitch black and silver. But obviously you can't leave uh, you know, your fancy, nice Damascus knife at 220 grit finish. So you got to pull yeah, it up a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah, that's why I like, you know, I, I usually scrub really hard up to 400 grit and then I pull strokes at 400 and then instead of scrubbing at 600, I pull strokes. I follow those 400 strokes with uh 600 grit strokes. And then I finish with 800 grit strokes. So I'm not even really scrubbing at 600 800. I'm only just trying to refine the sanding grits, um, from 400. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll take this next one from Mark LeBlanc. If you want to look down the list okay. for a nice juicy one, we can finish up with. Sure. Um, this, yeah. So this is from Mark LeBlanc again on Facebook, uh, sorry, on Instagram. Um, and he says when sharpening by hand, uh, what stones do you use or recommend? Um, you said, I'm not sure, but I think you already got this question. Um, so I, I don't sharpen my hand. I, I use a Tormek, which I have done for years and years now. Um, and I'm just trying to think what the stones are. So I use the standard stone that comes with the Tormek. Um, so you have um, like a dressing tool with it. So I believe mm. they probably run about 600. And then when you dress it, it dresses to about 1,200, I think. Um, but then I've also got the white wheel, um, which is like a like a finishing wheel, which I believe is two thousand grit. 
Um, and I've, I've used them for years and yeah, I'm, I'm just into that. So I don't really do any sort of hand. Well, I suppose this is hand sharpening, but you're using like a water wheel at the same time. Sure. But, um, yeah, so I believe they are six, 1200 600 1200 and then i say 2000 it may possibly even be 2500 for that for that white wheel at the very end hand sharpening do you do any at all sorry <laughs> i was looking down the list <laughs> sorry i know i did say look down the list and then yeah 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 uh okay um, yes when sharpening by hand okay so i i used to do a lot more sharpening by hand i had a king um kingstone which is actually mm. a pretty affordable stone to get a hold of. I think it's, I mean, last I looked, it was about 50 or $60 for yeah. about a two inch wide by eight inch long combination stone of 1000 and 6,000 grit. Um, and I actually still have that stone. I just don't really use it anymore. I do have a, I have a new stone. It's a, it's an Ardans, um, Belgian blue stone. They're actually quarried in Belgium and they're beautiful stones. Um, they're, they're kind of a 4,000 grit stone with, but they also have these, uh, tiny, tiny little, um, garnets in them. So you're getting a 4,000 grit finish, but you're also getting a, a mixture. It's not completely 4,000. It's, it's kind of hmm, a bit a, of abrasion, yeah, too. a mixture of abrasion and, um, and it creates some of the craziest sharp cutting edges, um, I've ever hand sharpened and these uh the belgian blue stones the ardans are um they're i think they're sold as razor stones for sharpening like straight razors on um but they are killer for chef's knives um so but I, yeah i use i i for a long time i lived and died by that 1000 6000 and what i would do is i would start on the 1000 to establish the geometry and then i'd flip the stone over and i'd have a what's called an uh, Nagura stone, which is kind of a, a little abrasive stone to kind of create a slurry. We were talking about the other day, kind of a mixture of loose abrasive and mm. stone and, uh, helps get a really nice high, like super fine polish, like almost mirror. But then I would go back to the 1000 grit side and I'd reintroduce some 1000 grit scratches by just doing some light stropping kind of backwards stropping motions just a few times each side because for chef's knives, People get crazy and they think they want like a 10,000 grit finish, but that is mm -hmm. absurd, honestly. And it's not functional because the micro serrations along that cutting edge are so, uh, kind of, they, they cut great initially, but then overuse, especially against a work surface, um, they're not going to last. And so it's about kind of re by reintroducing those thousand grit scratches, you have a mixture of 1000 and 6,000 and the 1000 grit are going to be a little bit more stout, I guess, serrations along yeah, the yeah. fine cutting edge, and they will allow your knife to continue to cut more effectively and aggressively, um, over time and, or between kind of honings or stroppings, uh, and sharpenings. And so I, I've, I've definitely become a big fan of reintroducing coarse scratches after taking a knife up to a really high finish. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, what did you come up with? Did you find anything interesting? I'm just going to go with this. I, I was going, <laughs> I was scrolling deep through the list and I decided, uh, I'm just going to go with the next one, which is from thirsty works knives. So it says, last week you talked a little about the value of a thin kitchen knife. 
Uh, I have now made a handful of kitchen knives, and I'm progressively getting more comfortable making them thinner. My first one is embarrassingly thick. Uh, what would you say is your ideal run-of-the-mill chef's knife spine thickness and profile length? Um, thanks for all the helpful content. W- what's your go-to thickness at the spine and, uh, um, and length? As she says, around sort of two mil for my spine thickness. And profile length, um, anything between sort of five and seven inches, I suppose, depends on what sort okay. of style and style of knife it is. Um, but yeah, like like you, my first knives were embarrassingly thick. Um, I think I was like my first like kitchen knives were like four mil thick, you know, on the spine, which you could you you could use to batten firewood with, you know, if they if they were thick. Right. Um, but yeah, anything from sort of depending on the again depending on the style and what's used for anything between sort of one point eight and two point two wow. mil. Um, simply because they're um, sort of standard sizes that I can get sort of sheet form over sure. here. Wow. Yeah. That is, so in uh, the Imperial systems, that is just over a 16th of an inch, which is, to me, seems incredibly thin. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I, I don't advocate any specific blade thickness at the spine because I've encountered great knives that are super thick behind the spine um mm-hmm. and also very thin knives that are um sorry super thick knives that are thick at the spine but cut like a dream but also very thin knives made from thin stock that cut like dog shit because but yeah. it comes yeah. down to that edge geometry again i feel like we talked about this before but everybody's so fixated on the spine they forget about the part that's actually doing the cutting work which is down at the cutting edge and so you want to push your cutting edge and kind of the material you know maybe a centimeter or about a half an inch up from the cutting edge you want to push that to to more of the thinner side because that is really going to dictate how your knife performs not how because you're not cutting with the spine of the knife you're cutting with the edge of the knife right and so i would focus on um your edge geometry um because that's where all the performance is happening and if you're not sure how thin you can take your material i uh i i often tell people to push it too far basically have one ready to basically destroy or not be Mm. sellable push it too far and then pull it back um figure out where that you're never going to know where that edge is where you're just going to then fall off the cliff and you know it's so thin that it doesn't hold an edge even cutting through you know a pepper or something like that because it's so thin it's become a foil edge and it starts to deform ribbon or chip or whatever so then pull it back and figure out where that is based on that material that you like to use and and that actual geom that thickness once you pull it back you know i had one slicer I made out of some Damascus and I'd never done any destruction and like really gnarly destruction testing. So I ground the knife like I would normally would very, what I, what is very thin. And then I chopped into antler with it, which is Hmm. obviously knife abuse. That's not anything that it would Hmm. ever actually do. It's not designed to do that work, but I was curious what that edge, that, uh, that geometry of that knife would be able to handle. And I found that I could actually, pull it back to about 20 thousandths of an inch thick, sharpen it, and then it would held up to chopping into an antler grate. I actually, I, but I never would have known that if I hadn't done that. So, you see, mm, so yeah, yeah. I think the key is 
you, uh, to understand your tools and what they're really capable of, you have to build some to destroy them to really understand what they're capable of. But again, when it comes to the thinness of the knife and how it performs, focus more on the edge geometry rather than the spine because the edges were the, the, the yeah. works being done. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen, I've seen, you know, chef knives that people have done, yeah. and the the grind is almost like a Scandi grind on it. Mm. It doesn't go anywhere near as high as the spine anyway on some knives. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. so you got to think, you know, it, it doesn't really make too much of a difference then what the uh, what the what the spine is. Sure. Uh, but personally, mine basically taper from the spine all the way down, a solid taper all the right. way. Um, but I'm talking a height of about fifty mil generally for for one of my chef knives um so you can sort of work out the angle um but yeah as Morocco said it completely depends on how that edge is ground but you know more than anything else I suppose okay I think we've I tell you what we've rattled through dozens dozens more than we've done in weeks (laughs) there so we've we've managed to cut down a lot of questions we've still we've still got hundreds on a list here (laughs) to work our way through but uh, we'll we'll get there eventually so if you have sent us a question um Please don't resend the same question. We, we do have a huge like, mega list of questions, and Jeff does a lot of work every week of, of updating new ones and mixing them up a little yeah. bit as well. So, yeah, no need to resend them, but we will we will get to all questions um, in time. But hey, thank you all for listening. Um, we wish Jeff all the best at the award ceremony tonight. Um, I think "I'm with You" is a great song. His voice really complements uh, Kenny Rogers more than I thought it would. Sure. Um, and maybe if you stick around after the after show, you may even hear a clip of one of, of one of Jeff's songs with Kenny Rogers. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you all for listening. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. He wasn't even missed, was he? Let's face it. <laughs> he does offer a lot of dick joke quips, but... He does. We were quite straight there. We went straight question, know, question, question. We were railing him. It was all good. All good. Look, did you manage to see um the Bad Vegan that we talked about? I have not week? watched it yet. Oh, I know Jeff did see it this week and he's like, Fuck me, this woman's crazy. Wow. Um yeah, it's honestly, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And um before you know, rather than go into it too much, it's about this this woman who had this restaurant in New York, and, and people were scammed. That's all I'll say. I won't say who okay. and why and all the rest of it. Um, but it turns out that she is now online, and she's telling like the real story. Saying Netflix hasn't really told the full story oh, wow. and stuff. So that like more and more stuffs coming out now, and it's just like oh wow. So it's like it turns into this huge drama. Yeah, um, yeah it's 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 good. I stuff. feel like. Good. that's usually not the best course to take or the direction to take is to get up and start trying to defend yourself. Cause it usually just makes things worse for you. Probably. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's a bit maybe fame hungry. This, this, mm, uh, okay, yeah. this individual, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, trying to think what else am I watching this week? Um, My wife and I started watching alias, which is a, a series um, oh, I think Amy watched that. Yeah, it's a series. It's about a. a it's a. Oh my God! Now I'm blanking on her name. But anyways, um, 
a, a woman who becomes a spy and she like is mm. it's secret from everybody in her life but then she slowly starts to learn that some of the people in her life actually know that she's a spy and all are also spies and just like her journey through being being a double agent and all that stuff and um i didn't watch it when it originally came out because i thought it was just too cheesy basically yeah. but watching yeah. it now i was like oh it's not it's definitely not the worst thing i've ever seen in my life um but yeah. it's actually pretty interesting and entertaining and and uh part of the reason we started watching it is my wife went on um a trip over to washington dc and one of the museums the many museums she went to uh, was the spy museum so every once in a while oh. she'll pause and she'll be like oh at the museum they said about this <laughs> like how long people have like when they're shown information on paper you have like five or ten seconds to memorize it before they literally like set it on fire and destroy it oh, wow. um and so and just like little things like that and they put those into the show so it's kind of neat to see uh oh cool. doing doing that yeah I, I didn't see it but i I know Amy watched it, and she was well into it for a while. So. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, it's got like five seasons. Something wow. Like um, I'm, go ahead. I'm the worst for TV at the moment because where, when, by the time like the, the twins go to bed, mm-hmm. um, they go to bed around about 7.30, and then you know the baby at the moment is literally just feeding, sleeping, feeding, sure. sleeping every sort of two, three hours. Um, so we've just got lots of time where we can't do much because of the noise in the house. So we're just literally just watching TV and we're watching like about five or six hours every evening now. Oh, it's wow. just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm terrible because, you know, TV's different now, isn't it? When we were kids, you sure. know, you'd watch something and it was like, oh, next Friday night we watch the A team again. Yeah, right. Great. Um, but now it's just like, would you like to watch another? Yeah. Would you like to watch another? You're just like, oh, right. Yeah, hours deep into something then. It's, it's, a, it's a big investment. I've got to ask you, yeah. what kind of snacks are you eating during your four-hour marathons? Uh, Cheetos? So badly. <laughs> um, a lot, yeah, a lot of crisps, yeah. Uh, um, or chips, as you'd call them. Yeah. Um, a lot. Um, but I've become like the worst sort of dad at the moment so we're all sitting sitting down eating and when the kids aren't eating i'm like you can't waste stuff and i'm finishing the kids food i'm i'm at the moment i'm in bad shape really (sighs) bad shape i I seem to go in like really bad waves yeah um but i'd say the last two possibly three weeks i've been fucking oh it's disgusting it is disgusting are you much of a leftover eater um yes okay yeah. That that has been my move for a long time. I was finishing my kids' food, but it was always I yeah. was uncomfortable, and because I, <laughs> I was just eating too much at meals, and so I've started throwing them into storage containers, and then that just becomes my uh, my lunch for the next day. <laughs> the next day, yeah, yeah. But it, but I'm terrible. So, so I'll, I'll maybe cook like for the kids. Sure. And as I'm prepping, I'm eating. Oh yeah, of course. Um and. <laughs> And, you know, then we all sit down to eat. Then I'll have what they've left. And it's just like, I don't know. But we've got this bit of a joke in the house where if I'm not 90% full, I'm hungry. (laughs) You know, know, it's like, you hungry? Well, I'm about 92%. It's like, yeah, you must be hungry then. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm always to the limit at the moment. And I'm just, I need to sort something out. Yeah. Summer's come in, but, you know. Well, you got to get those nips out. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> on but your new I'm estate. A, I'm a, yeah, <laughs> I'm a stress eater. I'm a stress eater. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I just think, oh fuck it, you know, it's only food. 
but oh, you regret it. But. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I just got to a point. I was, I was just so uncomfortable, and I hated that feeling. I'm just mm. like, I'm not doing that anymore because it just ruins it ruins the enjoyment of eating. Like it gets to, yeah, like the food's great up to a point, and then you overeat, and then it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. And then it's just, it's not even something nice to look back at. On even if the first part of the meal was great, I'm still like. I just feel like shit. <laughs> yeah, just... that's the thing. You feel like shit and you think that was just like wasted calories because yeah. there wasn't that much enjoyment in that, you know? Right. And I, yeah, I'm the worst. But yeah, it's something's got to change. Yeah. I don't know what yet. There's too much going on for me to change, right. but soon. <laughs> the diet starts Monday, as people sure. always say. Yeah. Have you been playing uh, uh, Hurdle very much? I haven't. Yeah. Only what we tried to play last week. Do you want um, to try to get? I have go one well. Queued, this today is queued you got up. Got one queued up. Okay, let's All do right, it. I'll let's try do it. it. I got the volume cranked up, and uh, it's right next to the mic. Here we go. Ready? Bye, it's rolling. That's the. So you. Oh, that is that Mark. Um, who did all the Amy Winehouse stuff? Mark Ronson. Sounds like his voice. I don't know. Is it? Oh, well, I'll, I'll guess that it is. I'm gonna say. Is it Valerie by Amy oh, Winehouse? That's a, great, shit, that's a great cover. Valerie. Mark Ronson, Valerie featuring Amy Winehouse. Let's try it. Is that? Oh, I'm submitting oh. right now. Oh, Submit. right, right. That was it. Yeah, fucking yes. You killed it. One second. It was. I, I only knew that because I knew his voice when he, when he, said, when he said that. I've never and, heard um, that version. Honestly. No, I don't think I have actually, no. But um, it's just it was literally just his voice. That's and, fucking crazy. You've never heard you know, that song, but you recognize his voice. I know the song, but I don't know if I've heard well, that sorry, version. Well, sorry, that version I, of the song. Yeah, yeah that's wild. Yeah, but, yeah, that was one second. Yeah. So the way it breaks it down is you get one second, two seconds, then five seconds, then 11 seconds, and then finally 16 seconds. Ah, uh, um, I got you. figure out the yeah. song. But you got it in the first one. Yeah, I... It would have probably taken me about six seconds until I started hearing Amy Winehouse's voice. That, that bass line, that ding, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was one the other day. Ah, this that was a this is a new bit every week doing a hurdle. Doing a hurdle at the end, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so if we, oh yeah, we're not ruining it for anybody because they're getting it late anyway. Um, uh, yeah, there was one a couple of days ago that was like drumsticks tapping together. And she's like, ch, 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 and it's like somebody counting up one, two, three, and I was like. What? That could be fucking anything. Could be anything. <laughs> so you actually had to get to like uh, to the six second portion before you started yeah. hearing the guitar. And the second I heard the guitar, I was like, "Oh, that's Bruno Mars," um, because ah, I recognized yeah. the riff at the beginning of um, "Locked Out of Heaven." Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. You know. I like it. Yeah. yeah, music quizzes are my thing. I'm, I'm all over yeah, them. Yeah, all over them. Honestly, <laughs> that's my one of my my wife hates that game because she could she recognizes songs, but she can never remember the name of the song or the artist. <laughs> but doing that thing where you're singing the song in your head, trying to get to the chorus quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah. some things when we drive when we were driving more together, we would jump around through the radio through the different radio stations mm-hmm. and we would just play like the first couple seconds which we'll is change the station and then turn it off and be like mm-hmm. what's the song <laughs> she's like i fucking hate this game i have no idea but oh i'd be all over that and my wife my wife's the same she's just like 
to be honest, she's not really that interested in music at all. Oh, okay. So like, she's just like, oh, Craig, just shut up. Just, I don't care. And I'm like, oh no, do you realize that this bass player played on this? And that? she's like, ah, oh, I'm glad that wasn't a deal all. breaker for you. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Nice. Right. Well, I think that's yeah. the show. That was a good that was one. Great. That was a really good one. So I'll get this edited up. It'll be out on Monday. Thank you all for listening. Um, the Jeff will the Jeff will be back next week. And um, remember, get your questions to us. Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. And remember to support our sponsors because um, you know they've been sponsors for a long time. Um, and they do good stuff. We only work with people who do good stuff, you know? So, yeah, go take a look. In the show notes, um, there'll be a full list of them. And if you're going to get your stuff, you might as well get it with a discount too. Might as well. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.